0: the front lines.
1: Men on the front lines. Men on the front lines. We call for these mighty men of valor. The Lord put a vision in my heart for a new movement amongst men in the body of Christ. The Lord says that I'm going to make champions out of those who would gather unto me. And I believe what men on the front lines will do And I see it going into the nations. He's going to raise the bar among men. It's time for heroes to arise. I'm Robert Hodgkin, and this is Heroes Arise, men on the Frontline social media broadcast, equipping, encouraging, and empowering you to arise as the hero, the warrior, and the champion that God created you to be. You matter, you are important, and you have a key role to play for the kingdom in the earth. So thanks for joining me again this week so we can continue to pour into you. You know, we're asking a lot of questions in uh, the United States right now. We're asking a lot of questions in the world right now. We're saying, what is going on? What's going on in our nation? What's going on in the world? But I think a better question for us is actually what's going on in the church? Because as we know, we're the dominion stewards in the earth. As the church goes, so goes the nation. As the church of a nation goes, so goes that nation. And my special guest today, we're going to be talking about what is going on in the church, in the USA, the church in the world, what's going on in modern Christianity, and is it one of the reasons the world looks the way it does right now? Is it one of the reasons our nation looks the way it does right now? But just before we get into that, I've got a quick announcement for you. I want to remind you yet again about the Robert Hodgkin YouTube channel. Do me a favor. And as soon as we're done with this, go over to YouTube, find the Robert Hodgkin channel, and subscribe to it. We're trying to build our subscriber base there because as much as we love reaching you through other social media platforms, we have noticed, like on Facebook Live, we've noticed that later on in the week, everything gets pushed down with more and more content. It's harder to find and share the videos that are empowering you, impacting you, inspiring you. So if you go to my Robert Hodgkin channel and you subscribe to it, not only do we get notifications when there's new content, but it makes it very easy right on the channel to use the search field or you can go to the Heroes Arise playlist and it makes it easier for you to find, rewatch, like and share those videos. But whatever platform you're watching on, please like, share, subscribe, do all that stuff. It activates the algorithm them in a way I don't fully understand but it helps us empower more champions like you okay so let's get into this week's topic and let's begin by sharing with you my special guest and my friend Ryan Johnson
0: Thank you so much.
1: Ryan, I'm so glad you're here. I love our conversations. Um, um, I've loved when I've been on your podcast. I've loved we've done other shows together. Um, And I really like this word you're carrying right now about the culture of golden calves because it's really helping us see, by always rooting everything in Scripture, you have such a good um, mind for Scripture. You're very prophetic and very revelatory. And I love this revelation God has given you about the golden calves in Scripture, but how it applies to the church today as a warning. And it's not a heavy like God shall smite thee, but it's to open our eyes, to to open our minds so we can realize this is a trap the enemy has always had for us. The enemy's not that creative, but unfortunately he is effective. And that's why he uses the same traps over and over and over again. And this golden calf trap is one that it looks like he's using in the church today. But if we become aware of it, we can turn from it, we can deny it, and actually we can be there for others and be a part of the solution for them to set them free so they can be part of the solution for God. But let's start with your revelation and take us back into the book of Exodus and the, the story of the golden calf.
0: In Exodus 32 we find the scripture that says that the children of Israel had just really began their journey to a degree. And they had actually been invited to go on top of Mount Sinai, but only the elders go so far. Moses goes all the way to the top into the presence of God, and they know he's there. But the children of Israel are down at the base of Mount Sinai in that region. While the elders are halfway up, Moses is at the top, and time begins to pass. And they're waiting, they're waiting, and they're waiting. And we have to keep in mind that the children of Israel have been in bondage for hundreds of hundreds of years. And now Moses arrives as the deliverer, but now they can't see him. He is in the midst of the presence of God. And so they begin to grow impatient. And they begin to wonder what's really happening. And the definition of the word is, while they viewed Moses to be in delay. Yeah. So here's the deliverer, but now he's in delay. And they begin to cry out, we don't even know what God looks like. We don't know what he sounds like. We don't know anything about God, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, every bit of that, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Isaac. And we understand that there's this longing for them to have some kind of explanation. Right. And so here they are and they come, to Mo- they come to Aaron and they say, we've waited, we've delayed, we've patiently been at this point, but we need to understand who God is. Go and make us an image so that we will be able to worship God, to know that while Moses is in the presence of God, we need to have something that we can relate to. Yeah. And Aaron gets to this point to where he says, okay, that's, you know, we're, we need that. We need to have that. Because I think sometimes we forget about what the children of Israel came out of. Right In the land of Egypt, gods were everywhere. Now it's a lowercase g. Right, right, right. But they're everywhere. There's a moon god, a sun god, a star god, a cloud god, a rain god, storm god, river god, you name it, they had it all. Yeah. So they had these images that they connected. So the children of Israel is always looking for something to define the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so that they'd be able to have this and be able to relate to it. So they tell Aaron, because Moses is delayed, make us an image of God. So Aaron actually calls for them to give up their gold. They take out their earrings, their bracelets, their necklaces, and he forms it into the fire And he makes the golden image of the calf, which is an interesting concept because when we look just in the nature of the calf, it is a deity in itself, a deity from when we go back to Egyptian, especially in the time of Memphis you have the calf representing the king at a young age. And when a king would mature, the calf would become a a bull. So the calf was connected to a deity. Mm. It it symbolized courage. It symbolized strength. It it symbolized being able to withstand the trials and the temptations and the pressure. So when they make a golden calf, they're making it in the identity of deity. Mm. And this is why this is so Important because they're saying gods, but they're also uh, understanding of a deity. Right. And that's where the hang up begins because when we look in the scripture, the word gods is Elohim. Right. Elohim, when we think of that as Christians, we've possibly heard Elohim. We go, wait a minute. Elohim, a Hebrew meaning, means the one true God. Yeah. So, we look at that and go, but that's not what they're making there. They're making a false god. And we understand right. that to be. Right. Well, Elohim also, by definition, can mean pagan gods. Ah. The difference is in the whether or not it's a singular or a plural word. Singular is always Elohim, the one true God. That is God Almighty.
1: Yes. Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Absolutely. Isaac, and
0: Jacob. Yeah. Where Elohim plural Is lowercase g, so pagan God. So when the children of Israel are saying, make us an Elohim, they're literally saying a pagan God. And so they're spot on what they're saying right there. Mm. But what is interesting is Aaron then declares after the golden calf is made, he said, we will have a feast unto the Lord with this. Mm. That word Lord there is not Elohim. That word Lord is Yahweh. Wow! When Aaron says, we will take the golden calf, the pagan God, and we will give it unto the feast of the Lord. What Aaron does is he says, now this is Yahweh. Mm. He redefines the identity of a pagan God and attaches it to the understanding of Yahweh. So he's literally saying, I know Moses is on top of Mount Sinai and he's in the presence of God but this golden calf is
1: Yahweh. Wow. So one of the most important things about this I think is not only what happened but why it happened. So I love how you broke that down. So here the the Israelites the first i think the most important thing in all this is where you started where only the elder went up only moses went up and the israelites hang back and the, instead of realizing we can meet with god too because i always think god does god does raise up moseses god always raises up a man or a woman that we can see what is available with god but it's not what is available to them with God, what's available to everybody with God. And that can be um, a, a William Branham, that can be a Patricia King, that can be a Bill Johnson, that can be a Catherine Coleman. You know, God will always have his champions, but we need to never make the mistake of looking and saying that's what's available to them in God, but that's what's available to us with God. It's always to inspire. God's no respecter of person. So I look and I think, okay, the Israelites make this decision. They make this decision of instead of longing to meet with God the way Moses does, realizing we have that invitation too, we have that opportunity too, they, and I'm, 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 I'm putting words to it, I'm not sure this is the case, but to dramatize it, they take offense. Why does Moses get to do this and we don't? Or maybe it's not offense, but maybe, and I'd like your thoughts on this, maybe while God has set them free from slavery... They have not allowed themselves to be set free from a slave mentality, so they're like, "Oh, the leader gets this, but we don't." Now we need a god we can relate to. But the other thing that I think is really important, and it's one of the the, the things we need to be careful of, that we're gonna when we transition into what's the warning for today, is the whole reason this happens is because they become impatient. Where's Moses? He hasn't come back yet. What's going on? Is he ever going to come back? And ultimately, there's two mistakes there. One, where's Moses with the word of the Lord as opposed to, hey, I can get the word of the Lord. He's my God, too. You know, I think of Isaac and, and Jacob, and they both had this because, you know, it's all the God of Abraham. But here are the literal sons, Jacob and Isaac, they have this moment, each of them in their stories, where it goes from the God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Abraham and and Jacob, to it's my God. It becomes personal. It's like what I saw my father have, what I saw my father and grandfather have, now I know he's my God too. The Israelites don't do that. They do the opposite. They go, don't know where he is, don't know if he's coming. So they refuse to have the personal relationship with God that Moses is showing is possible. But then they also put God on a timeline and they become impatient. And that impatience actually opens the door to this golden calf idolatry. I know I just said a whole lot, but what I'm really interested in in hearing your thoughts on is God not only sets us free from bondage but his desire is always to set us free from a bondage mentality. Mm-hmm. Moses is working on that with him. Moses is meeting with him. Moses is saying things like in Exodus 33, show me your ways, God, so I may know you more and make you known more. The Israelites are saying, "Oh, well, you know, seems like Moses is up there, but what's for us? Let's make our own God that we understand. Where, what role does... What role do we have, what role, how do we connect with God so that we're not only set free from any bondages but we're also set free from a bondage mentality? I think one of the key
0: things that we have to remember is the culture of Israel, they had been in bondage for hundreds and hundreds, so it's generation after generation after generation of being in bondage and not actually seeing the move of God. All they had was the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So right. they knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's interesting, just recently I was going back and I was looking in Exodus 3, the burning bush moment. Moses recognized there's something to this. He turns around in his face. He has the conversation with God. And then God tells him, you're going to go and be the deliverer. Now, we have to remember the deliverance part was not to be broke free from slavery. It was to be broken free so they could observe Passover. Yeah. But being broke free from slavery was the bonus to that. Now, in that, Moses says something very interesting. He says, and who do I tell the sons of Israel you are? What is your name? And God says, tell them I am that I am. Now, what's interesting is the sons of Israel never ask. Who told you this? Oh. They never asked that. The one person that asked was Pharaoh. Mm. Pharaoh said, Who told you to do this? And Moses says in scripture, I am. Pharaoh's response was, I know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I don't know the I am. So now you fast forward, the sons of Israel never asked who delivered us. Wow. Who is this? Because they only knew the stories. A deliverer is coming. They were led out of the wilderness by the knowledge of God, but not yet the revelation of God. Mm. And this is where we are as many in church culture. We have a knowledge of God. We've heard of what God can do. We've heard of experiences and moments and where we find ourselves in this, where we're going, yes, I've received this. But when we need something met, when we need that revelation, when we need that encounter, when we need God to move on our behalf, we become impatient because we live by knowledge not by the revelation right, of who he is. Right. Moses is able to go up further than the children of Israel because he had the revelation of I am. Yeah. Whereas they had wondered, they had been in slavery for hundreds of years with God, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So for them to settle at the bottom of the mountain was secondary because that's all that they, they had been accustomed to. Yeah. We find ourselves in church culture doing the same thing. We just don't often recognize it. The pastor will get the word for me. The prophet will give me a Prophetic word. The evangelist would do the work of winning souls to Christ. The teacher will study for me. The, you know, it, the apostle will go and be sent. We look at each one of those and we say we want a Moses to go before the Lord for us. But in reality, we want an Aaron. Oh, right. Many in the church want an Aaron that they can tell what to do. Oof. So that while I'm becoming impatient, waiting on the Lord to move on my behalf, to reveal Himself to me, because I would rather God come down to my level. I think a lot of times Mm -hmm. we miss in the church the invitation that the Lord gives us. There's a couple of times, even in the Gospels, Jesus invites people to Him. When you take Bartimaeus, he's a beggar on the side of the road, he's blind, he cries out. Jesus doesn't turn and go back to him. Jesus stops where he's at and says, tell him to come to me. There's something about going to him that we often miss because when in our needs and our desires and in our impatience, we're saying, come Lord, come, come meet me. I need this in this moment. So we're looking for the man, the woman, the identity, the person that is always going for the revelation because we've been people that just, we're enamored by the experience. And it's, it's a scary thing because the experience cannot sustain you. The experience right. can give you the taste, the hunger and the thirst, but it can't sustain you. And the children of Israel never got to that point to where they could get that revelation. Yeah. That's why we have this. And that's our problem in the church today. Oh.
1: You know, I think I have often teach on this because I love the mountaintop experiences. You know, I've had many of them, and I love when, you know, whether it's the flashing lights or you feel the winds of heaven swirling around me in my prayer chore, it's the chair, or you're experiencing the presence and it's that "Ah, ah, ah moment. Those mountaintop experiences with God are amazing because they remind us what we always have. You know, our born again spirits are constantly having throne room encounters, because right now we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So that reminds our body and soul what's always available to us, but God gave me this picture years ago, Ryan, when I lived in Montana is when I got saved through a sovereign encounter outside my cabin in the woods of Montana, and I would climb Mount Aeneas, it was my first climb every spring, um, because the snows would thaw, it was one of the shorter, the lower peaks, it would thaw earlier, I'd go up there, see the wildflowers. One year after being a Christian, I'm standing up on top of Mount Aeneas looking at the Flathead Valley where I lived, it's gorgeous. And while I'm up there, it's this incredible experience of beauty and seeing all that is available to me in the natural, in the Flathead Valley, but to experience it, to live it, I had to go down into the valley and actually put my kayak in the water, you know, get my fly rod going on Swan River. The mountaintop experiences remind us what we have, but the way we experience it, the way we live it, is by walking it out in the valleys. And as you were sharing this, I got to thinking, really for all the talk about grace in the church right now and extreme grace and sloppy grace and God's grace is extreme and God's grace is amazing but it always comes back to this kind of debate on Um, You know with the the resurgence of holiness that we need in the church right now. That's not holiness It's a performance pressure of religion and and legalism, and but I know that gets to be the debate But where I'm going with this is right now We're often in this debate as we talk about living in the righteousness We have available to us in Christ living is a holy expression of him because it's who we truly are We get into this discussion of but is that legalism is that religion? We often accuse God of putting religion on us, and he never does. He invites us deeper into relationship. But what I was realizing in what you were sharing, Ryan, is one of the challenges is while we debate is God putting a religion on us, and he's not, by the way, we often put religion on God because what is religion religion is performance pressure you know being holy as christ is holy is not a burden to perform it's an opportunity to realize who we truly are it's a revelation of identity in christ and then living it out to have impact in the earth but while god's not putting religion on us we put religion on god all the time you're not showing up in a way that i'm expecting on a timeline i'm expecting so now I am pulling relationship from you because you haven't performed to my understanding to my desire So I am no longer blessing you with relationship because you haven't earned it God I don't understand what's going on. I'm going to remake a God in my image that I can understand that's performance pressure We're put religion on God when he doesn't put it on us That's the danger and then what that looks like in the modern-day church and let's talk about modern-day Especially in the USA, but this is global you know so many people in the church contended so intensely for the last six months to a year for a move of righteousness in the USA. And I'm not talking, I know it was around the election, but I'm not talking Democrat or Republican. I am talking about wanting to see a great move of God, the fear of the Lord, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, righteousness, truth, justice, being reestablished in this nation. And we contended and we prayed, and right now, take parties out out of it, take politicians out of it, let's look at policies that are being put in place. Many of us could look and say, the darkness is increasing the wickedness is increasing and we could say God where are you why aren't you moving you're not doing it on a timeline that we were expecting you know fill in whatever date election date inauguration date but that's us putting religion on God and the danger when we do that when we become impatient when we refuse to trust him When we put demand, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to say, God, where are you in all this? It's not okay to demand answers according to our understanding because his ways are higher than our ways. So when we're putting religion on God, that's really creating a golden calf. When we're saying, God, you have to do what we want, when we want, how we want, on a timeline we expect, or we're out of here. But then the manifestation of the golden calf, as you're talking about, is we not only withdraw from God, we then remake the image of God. Yes. So in the modern church, in this time that is so historic, that we have such a historic opportunity to partner with God to see a much needed move of God happen, Are we creating golden calves instead of glorious opportunities? I'm reminded, I was listening to a podcast one time
0: and a lady, she had a grandson that was a homosexual and she was upset. She said, I just do not believe that God would send my grandson, who's a homosexual, to hell because of his homosexuality. And the host, they were trying to walk her through, you know, God doesn't send people to hell. This is a choice. They do everything. And she said, well, that's not the God that I serve. And it's an alarm that goes off in my head because I believe so many people in the church are dangerously redefining who God is. It's like we're in a generation now, we know that God is love, but we are so often making love God. Mm. When we make love
1: God. Our understanding of love. Yes.
0: We permit, tolerate and open up to areas that we were never intended to go because we have redefined who God is. We love to quote, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. But the problem is when we come to a scripture That makes us go, oh, that means I need to stop doing this or I need to change the way that I think. I need to recognize what is holy, what is pure, what is righteous. We go, well, God, that doesn't mean what it means now. And so we're morphing things into that. Now, one of the things I say is the greatest blessing that God gave mankind, in my opinion, is when he formed man, he formed man in the image and likeness of God, Christ and Holy Spirit. That's the greatest blessing that we have. Hands down. Yeah. The greatest insult that man is giving unto God is when we are now looking at God and creating Him into the image and likeness of man. Right. The moment that we don't like something, we, we don't agree with it, we need to transform it. And this is one of these things where we cry out for justice, but we don't really want to pursue the holiness and the righteousness of Christ. You know, I I genuinely believe we're supposed to hunger and thirst after the presence of God. I genuinely believe that. But in saying that, the scripture is clear, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, not necessarily after the presence of God, not after the love of God, not after the blessings of God, the righteousness. And that's a huge thing. We're in a culture now where we just act like God winks and nods right. at our sin right. and our errors. And so we have made this golden calf that is before us. But what I'm afraid of for many in the body of Christ, especially in America, and I know it's other nations as well, it's not, we're not calling it Yahweh, Right. we're calling it us. Yeah, our that's, way, not Yahweh, our, our way. Yeah, right. that's us. We're defining who we right. are in that. We are a generation that can quote more memes than we can the Word of God. We can't decipher between what is good and what is actually God. Because if it sounds good, feels good, looks good, it must be God. That's the redefining of those things. There are things that are clear in Scripture that we have to uh, separate ourselves from, but we're in the realigning, the redefining, we're presenting that. That's why so many people want the Aaron and not the Moses, because when Moses comes down off the mountain and he has the tablets that God himself wrote with his finger, that's what the scripture yeah. says. He wrote this tablet, he throws them down. Now, I don't know that I'd ever got that far, but he throws them down and he's angry and he wants to kill them all. And it's really interesting because you read the scripture, he grinds up the golden calf. Puts it in the water and makes them drink it.
1: Makes them drink the water of
0: that. Now, I'm not saying that we become viciously angry at that. That's not what I'm saying. But where are the men and women of God who becomes angry because of the redefining of God? Righteous anger is what I'm saying. Right. That would stand righteous indignation. Yeah. That would stand for the word of God and say, No, this is wrong. You can't. That's not what the scripture is implying. That's not what that is saying. Where are those Moses is at in this hour?
1: who are marked by presence, not by the culture. And that's the move of holiness that we need. I like what you said very much. Uh, Blessed are those, and obviously Jesus said this, but I like that you cited this. Blessed are those who pursue righteousness. Now, if we don't understand where this all literally started, being made in the image of God, we hear that as there's that legalism, there's that religion, you got to be righteous. No, you don't have to be righteous to come to know God we only know God through Christ's righteousness but in Christ we are made righteous so we are pursuing who we truly are why because as you said we are made in God's image so this righteousness that we are the very righteousness of God in Christ we are that are we willing to be that And then that's the journey we go on with Holy Spirit, where we allow him to transform us from glory to glory to glory, more and more into the image of God, not so that we'll get relationship and blessing, but because we're in relationship. It's a revelation of identity unto this incredible understanding of opportunity to truly walk out who we are. But instead of that, all too often, as you said, we don't allow God to take us on this, I always, think salvation is an event. I can point to the day I was saved. Sanctification is a process. God is continually transforming me into who I truly am, made in his image. But what can happen is like the Israelites, we get impatient, we don't understand, we don't like, we get uncomfortable, and now we don't realize it, but we actually start what you said, making God into our image. And when we do that, that's when we're starting. And I think, I always look at culture and look at, okay, God, we know this truth. What's going on in culture that, 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 that puts this on display? And the thing I see so clearly, Ryan, and the only reason it can be going on in culture is because we've allowed it in the church, because we're the dominion stewards, we're the gatekeepers. And this idea that's gotten into culture, I hear it all the time. Well, you may not agree with me, but that's my truth. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I actually got to visit with this one young man. I love him. He loves me. He was sharing some things with me, and he said, well, I realized, and I was saying, but here's what Scripture says. He said, okay, but this is my truth. I said, look, you know I love you. So I'm going to be stern with you. There's no such thing as your truth. There is your opinion, there's your experience, there's your perspective, and those are valid, and let's talk about those. I'm not dismissing those. What I'm dismissing is the lie that there is your truth, my truth. There is only the truth. And as soon as we get into this lie of, well, that's my truth, it's it's okay that it's your opinion. It's definitely your experience. I get that it's your perspective. Now let's look at that in regards to the truth So we can either bring understanding or healing, let's bring, because as soon as we say, well, that's my truth, now we're not giving place for God to come in and bring transformation, we're transforming God. And we would say in the church, well, we know the truth is God's word, but I agree with you, and I think this is a question we need to start asking, do we know that, or are we treating the Bible like a salad bar? And we can't. That is so dangerous. If we like, well, I like the... Because, you know, when I go to a salad bar, I like the mushrooms. Mm-hmm. I like the black olives. I like the red peppers, not the green peppers. I like the, 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 the romaine lettuce. I don't so much like the spinach. I'll put it on maybe because I know it's good for me. I don't really like it. And there's other things I'll definitely avoid. We can't do that with Scripture. This is the truth. The stuff that we connect to and go, oh, that feeds my soul. That's great. But also the stuff that makes me uncomfortable, I need to look at why? And is it, well, because God is love, so this doesn't make sense to me. It's like, yes, God is love, but is God's love more multifaceted than mine? Lord, I hope so, because I fail at love all the time. God never does. And that's not only God never fails at loving and accepting someone, but in his love, he also will set parameters. And I think too often in this modern culture of my truth and everything else that I am convinced is in culture because it's in the church. We just don't see it clearly yet. We have this thing where I don't think in the name of love, we're not being loving. We're being codependently dysfunctional because Jesus loved. Because, And if you guys want more on this, there's another episode of Heroes Arise called Is Love Really the Answer? And I highly encourage you to watch that show because we don't have time to unpack this completely. But I want to hear from you on this. Basically, what I was getting at was love is absolutely the answer. But we have to understand how complete God's love is, because Jesus, who is love, who's the perfect expression of love, the visible expression of the invisible father, who is love. He came into the world because of love, for God so loved the world. But when he came into the world, the expression of love wasn't, I love you, man. You're beautiful just the way you are. And that's okay. No, he was, I love you. I fully accept where you are. And in my love, I want to transform you into who you truly are. Love didn't excuse sin. Love removes sin. And we need to be careful because when we only operate from love and not truth, and we start making god into our image and his truth into my truth what happens is in the name of love now we're not actually being loving we're being co- we're being codependently dysfunctional where i'm saying i'm actually going to fuel your dangerous sin and dysfunction in the name of love but the true name of love jesus christ never did that he defeated sin he didn't excuse it
0: yeah i'm thinking you know the old song all we need is love and great song in, in and of itself. And, and it is an idea of, yes, all we need is love, but this, it's not, it's not accurate because define love, Right, you know, what you're just saying right there in that process. But if we take out transformation, us being transformed into the mind of Christ, us being transformed into sonship, if we remove the transformation, we're void of any power. That's the importance of transformation. And to understand that it's there is a sonship right to this. There's a positional authority. The the servant, am I a servant of God? Yes, I serve Him, I love Him, I honor Him, but my identity is in sonship. Right. Servants and service is what I do as a son, my identity as a son. We you know, we all know the story of the prodigal and he, I'll just go back and be a servant yeah. and, and he was trying to take on the identity of a servant to lower himself in that. The children of Israel, even though they're out of Egypt, they're still mentally in the bondage of that. And there's so many in the church today that they're mentally in bondage because they've yet to be truly transformed into who Christ says you are as a son. So we have this issue. Um, Relevance, cultural relevance does not negate or nullify truth. Mm. And this is where we're at in that. Yes, everyone is entitled to their own opinion. absolutely, But you don't get to redefine truth. No, not one bit. We don't want to think about this because when we think, when we say love today, we're, oh, we just got to accept them as they are. And we just got to love people. And we just got, you know, who am I to judge? That's always the, the favorite quote, you know, and deal with the beam in your own eye. That's right. the comeback on right. all that. I want to ask this question about the love factor in that. What about all the times Jesus let people walk away? Yeah, he let them walk away. Think about when he says, "You'll drink my blood and eat my flesh," and many of his disciples walk away, and he lets them walk away, and then looks at Simon Peter and says, "Aren't you going with them?" Right. And Simon Peter, I love his response. Like, where else are we going to go? You're the only one that has the And he says, this is a hard thing, Lord, but where else are we going to go? You're the only one. Think about um, the young ruler that comes to him. I have obeyed. There's the legalistic side. side. The religious side. I have obeyed every single thing. Tell me what I must do. And Jesus, yeah, you've done these things, but sell all you have and give it to the poor and follow me. Now, granted. I know we, we harp on the money side right, of that, right. and, and, and I understand it to a degree, but I think we miss what really was the hang-up for the young ruler. I don't believe necessarily alone it was the money issue. It was the invitation. Mm-hmm. Follow me. Only other time in Scripture that Jesus ever used that word is with the disciples. Yeah. Follow yes, me. Right. It was a personal invitation. Yet that young ruler walked away. If love is what it is by the culture definition, why did Jesus ever allow people to walk away? Yeah. Seems like he would have permitted them to go on. And there's other examples where that happens. You know, he would have never ran them out of the temple with the whip and turned over right. tables and all that. But right. this is something that hit me. And, and I'm saying this because I want everyone to understand the transformation. That happens in our life where we get past us because idolatry can be so many things. It can be us worshiping our jobs, it can be worshiping a relationship, a spouse, a a girlfriend, a boyfriend. It can be worshiping money, of course, or even our own. Or a sense of
1: security and the number of stocks we own, or yeah.
0: Yes, a home, a car. There's so many things that become self idolatrous towards us. But the bigger picture I want us to really gravitate to is can people see Christ beyond our own selves without our acknowledgement of being a Christian? Yeah. My goal in life is not to announce I'm a Christian. I don't go to people right. and say, Hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a preacher, I'm a minister, and I'm do all this thing. I never do that. I simply share what it is, I need to share with that person, and then I walk away. Mm. I never invite them to church. Never do it. And people's like, no, you can't do that. You can't invite them to church. What happens? Not all the time, but a lot of times they'll come back and go, "What's different about you?" Yeah. There's the invitation right. that it is, and the Lord has always drawn us. People can't get that when we've made God us. Yeah. When that happens, yeah. and love is us. Right.
1: Right. Well. I know we I know we're, we we got to close here in a minute, but I want to talk about. So we're seeing we're seeing the trap of the golden calf. We're seeing how it applies to modern culture and the church, but this isn't about pointing a finger. This is about being a solution. So how do we avoid this? And I'll share my thought, but then I want to hear from you. I think for me, because fortunately or unfortunately, I. All too clearly understand the snare of this because there's been many times when I haven't understood or even liked what was going on and I get the temptation of getting frustrated, getting impatient, all of that. But one of the things I've learned and I think one of the ways we avoid this and we can have a whole talk about how do you tear, how do you recognize idols, how do you tear down idols, but I want to talk more about how do we avoid this snare of almost without even realizing it, making God into our image as opposed to allowing God to make us into his. For me, I think, Ryan, it really comes down to one main thing. I have had to learn and relearn and relearn to rest in the mystery. Because we see with the original story that you started us off in from the book of Exodus, it's when they became impatient. When they didn't know where Moses was, they didn't know where God was, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't rest in the mystery. And I, I'll go back to, I think I said this earlier on, it's absolutely okay to ask God questions. I think he loves questions because he loves relationship. I think it's even okay to come to God with our anger. And I've had people say, you can't do that. And I said, well, look, maybe I'm wrong and I'll get to heaven and God's going to you know backhand me. But... I personally had a revelation from God that while anger's not good, because anger gives place a foothold to the enemy we're warned of, he would rather have me come to him with my anger than turn away from him in my anger. So when I've been frustrated, when I've been misunderstanding, I actually have learned to turn to him with that. And the one place that I find the ability to rest in the mystery is, or the main place I should say, is the cross. And I, what I mean by that is I look at the Pharisees before the cross saying, if you... Call forth a legion of angels to lift you up off that cross, then we will believe. What were they saying? They were putting religion on God. If you perform in a way that we understand, then we will believe in you. But what they didn't know is Jesus is hanging there, literally, thinking, but if I do what you're asking me, I have nothing to give you, because I didn't come to save myself, I came to save you. He was up to something so much bigger than their understanding. So for me, my only safe place is to learn to rest in the mystery, and I don't like this. We're going through something in my family right now that's really hard, that's really challenging. I don't like it. I don't understand it, but I go to God and say, Lord, I don't like this. I don't understand it, but I know you're in this. And the very fact that I don't understand it, Lord, I not only give this to you, but by your grace, I'll continue to believe your word is true that you're God of the impossible, and this is not above you, and you're bringing about what the enemy means for harm, you turn to the good. But God, I am choosing by your grace to be excited that even though I don't understand, that means you're up to something beyond my ability to understand. That's the only thing that saves me from what I'm very capable of, putting demands on God, turning into a little brat, and saying, you're not doing what I want, how I want, and the way I understand, where's my golden calf? I think we have to learn to rest in the mystery and realize no matter what either this is true or it's not and if John three sixteen is true that he loved me so much he sent the gift of his son if if I can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved and that's true then I have to understand all the rest of it is especially what I don't understand or I'm uncomfortable with I love what you're saying there because it reminds me a God that you fully understand
0: will always be smaller than oh you. well said wow There's always going to be this level of, I just don't understand. And that's where we don't lose our awe, A-W-E, our awe of who God is. For me, I I see two things. One is I'm a big believer in self evaluations where I constantly check myself. You know, the Bible is clear. God loved the world and he sent his son, but there are things that he hates. Mm. And it's very clear on that. And so a good self-evaluation, if I go down that list, Mm. and one of those things I don't hate, I don't hate people, but I'm talking about the sin, I don't hate that, I have to go, why do I not hate that like he hates that? Mm. That means something permissible has happened, and I've tolerated something, and I've allowed it to come in. And redefine. So I have to do these self-evaluations. The other side is going to seem a little trivial, but it's just the truth of the matter. I live in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Mm. And when you're walking in uh, one of the towns there, there's a lot of these fudge shops. And you'll go in town, you had no intention of buying fudge whatsoever. But when you're walking by, the aroma mm. hits you. And you go oh and you will stop and do whatever it is that you were doing and you will turn around and go into the store and you will pay the price for the fudge Mm. even though you had no intention of ever getting it because you had an encounter Mm. of, of of aroma well we that's a lot of times what we call we we encountered it but i believe that's just the experience people don't walk into fudge shops and take a big smell and go All right. I'm good. I'm satisfied. Right. right. They pay the price. They get the fudge. They eat it. And there's the encounter. I'm saying this because there's a lot of people that are sustaining life off of an experience and not paying the price of the encounter. Wow. And the problem for a lot of us, when we live by experience alone, the next great experience will be enough to drive us away because it's more Appetizing, mm. And when we live by the experience, the experience of God's presence draws us in. But the encounter of God's glory sustains wow. us and maintains us. And I think a lot of times we have to sit there in that self-evaluation and go, am I living by the experience alone or am I pursuing the encounter? Because pursuing the encounter means I've got to pay a price. Yeah. And usually it's letting go of things I don't want to let go of. Right. Because I like it yeah you know it makes me feel good and these are one of the things I believe that the solution for the American Church is we really have to reevaluate are we living by experience alone or are we pursuing the encounter mm,
1: Wow. Ryan, thank you so much for all that you share. In just a second, I'm going to have you pray for our audience. But before you do that, I know they're going to want more from you. So let them know where you've got wonderful books on all the usual places for books. But let them know where they can get your books, where they can get um, your teachings. Um, I know you do a blog on your website. They can get lots of, this, of your revelation for free. Let them know where they can find you. The
0: simplest way is ryanjohnson.us, R-Y-A-N-J-O-H-N-S-O-N.us. It has all of our links. has our links to my podcast, The Blacksmith Chronicles. Outstanding podcast. Um, Go to our YouTube channel. It's Ryan Johnson Ministries. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Uh, I do have resources. I've written three books, uh, and they're all available on Amazon, and some of them are on uh, other book outlets, Books of Me and Barnes & Noble, all those other places you, you could possibly find a book. Uh, My blogs is on there. We do have a store to be able to get all that. I'm on all the social media accounts as well, so you can find us on that. Connect with us. We'd love to connect with you.
1: All right. All right, Ryan, do me a favor. Um, Whether it's on what we talked about or whatever Holy Spirit leads, look into your camera and pray for our audience.
0: First of all, I just want to remind everyone that's watching this right now that you are not an accident. You're not an error and you are not a mistake. Mm -hmm. God created you with a purpose and a destiny only in which you can fulfill as the assignment of the kingdom. So I want to know that you know your value and worth. And so right now I decree and declare by the name of Jesus Christ and I pray for everyone that is listening and watching this right now that you will have the revelation of the encounter of His glory. The Father is looking to mark you right now. So I pray that you have ears to hear, Mm -hmm. eyes to see, and a heart to receive everything that the Father has for you. I, by the power and authority of Jesus Christ, I break every lying spirit over you right now. I command veils to be removed, scales to be broken off, that you shall see not only the glory of the Lord, but you will encounter who He is and who you are as a son. To know your identity as a son of God, sons of righteousness. I pray right now for those that are sick in body as well right now, that Holy Spirit is moving on your behalf right now. Healing is arriving to your body now in the name of Jesus. He is a healer, restorer, and redeemer of all things, being made whole. Prophetic dreams and visions and words are coming into the alignment of the fulfillment of who you are right now. And I thank you you, Father, for what you're doing through those that are receiving this word. And I declare it all in the name of Jesus.
1: Amen. Ryan, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. And thank you for being here for this week's episode of Heroes Arise. Don't forget ryanjohnson.us, YouTube channel, the, the Blacksmith Chronicles podcast. I highly recommend it on all the uh, podcast platforms. And also, you're your on YouTube, go to the Robert Hodgkin channel, subscribe, like the video, share the videos, help us get word out, help us empower more champions like you. Thanks so much for being with us. We will see you here again soon for another Heroes Arise.